And this episode, we're going to talk about Gen Con. Um, well, more particularly, I'm going to ask Paul and Matt stuff about Gen Con, because once again, I didn't get to go to Gen Con this year. <laughs> I've been trying to get to Gen Con for 25 years, 30 years, I don't know, something like that. But every, every time I make plans to go or start thinking of going, something gets in the way. And this year wasn't any different. So I, you know, I, I am going to live vicariously, visit Gen Con vicariously through Paul and Matt this week and allow the rest of you to do so as well. And by the end of it, maybe you'll hate them as much as I do. Yes, Scott, come with us on a journey through time and space. <laughs> all, all the way back to last week. Yes. <laughs> I'm just finding more amusing the fact that you've been trying to go almost as long as it's been running. <laughs> yes, yes. I looked up a few facts, actually. Oh, yeah. I interject with uh, some information about the history of Gen Con in brief. Somebody asked me why is it called Gen Con? Because it started at Lake Geneva. Indeed. So it was the Geneva Convention. And as it was based around war games, they thought it was kind of uh, humorous. Yeah. And uh, in 1968, apparently, with Gary Gygax in uh, the Geneva Convention, around 100 people. So, you know, to, to be fair, if I tried to go into the original one, I would have been three at the time. <laughs> that, that wouldn't have stopped you. When did you say you started reading, um, reading the likes of Lovecraft and, um, and, and Graham Poe? True. <laughs> are, there, are there any other facts you want to dazzle us with? Oh, indeed. I have a whole like, <laughs> page of them. That, that's along with the modified scenarios. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, about the length of two of them. Yeah, so two very long post-it notes. Uh, moved to Indianapolis in 2003, 10 years ago, with 25,000 people. This year, 49,000. Wow. So doubled in 10 years. 49,000 geeks in one enclosed space. Yep. But uh, then you only have to so. look across the channel to Germany. Oh, Spieler, yeah. 150,000. 150,000? Visitors. I, I assume unique visitors, just like Gen Con. Wow. So, Germany has a very different gaming culture, admittedly. A lot of those is related to board games. Rather oh, board certainly. Games. But then there's a lot of Gen Con is given to board games. I mean, it is more focused perhaps on the role-playing. Lots of people go for other reasons. Mm-hmm. Card lots games. Of card games. Definitely lots of card games. You know, lots of other aspects to it. Is there any video game presence there? At Gen a, Con? A little bit. There is one room I know that they've put up in the last couple of years. And when we say one room... Well, all right, one hall. Like an aircraft hangar. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's not quite that big. It is admittedly room the size of a house. We think of Gen Con as a really big event, and it is, but, you know, compared to some of these other things, it's a lesser cousin, really. But uh, But, but compared to any of our UK conventions, it's huge. Yeah, yeah, oh, definitely. Think concrete cow times by how many? Yeah. Um, A thousand. Yeah. I like a point, yeah, (laughs) The two of you uh, went along this year in a sort of... Well, you, you particularly, Paul, went along in a, a semi-official capacity, didn't you? For, uh, yeah, for I helped out a bit on the Chaosium stand, um, and uh, we were giving away copies of the new Quick Start, 7th edition Quick Start rules, and uh, I was running a couple of games for the Kickstarter backers, um, and so was Mike, so we ran four games, uh, which seemed to go down well, and we also hosted the dinner for the Kickstarters at St Elmo's. Oh, nice steak restaurant. Okay, was, uh, very nice. So, uh, how many people bought in at the level to to actually eat with with you and and Sandy? Sandy Peterson was there. Yeah, as well, yeah, he? Sandy was there. Um, turned up with uh, Cthulhu in his hand. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it wasn't Cthulhu. It was it was one of the the miniatures for uh, Cthulhu Wars. Yes, uh, I think there were four um, people backed it at the, the, the dinner level. Um, and there was a whole bunch of us there at dinner. Um, and we had about, I think, five people in each of the games. Nice. Uh, did you spend any time on the, the Chaos Himstall, Matt? I managed to swing by for about maybe five minutes when I spoke to Paul in one instance. I managed, in comparison to the last couple of years when I've been out there, I think I managed to get into the dealer's hall this time for a grand total of two and a half hours, if I was lucky. 
Um, I, my capacity in this case is I offer my services in the international gaming mule, whereby to the various uh, gamers back home I know that's saying, right, well, Gen Con's coming up, you know, there's going to be big releases, what do you want? And so I ended up filling up my hand luggage with books as per um, as per before. So, so you didn't take an empty suitcase this time? I put an empty suitcase in my suitcase, and that became my hand luggage on the way back, because God <laughs> bless American <laughs> Yeah, it's like, God bless American Airlines for not having a weight limit on their hand luggage. As long as I could lift it into that bin, I was fine. <laughs> I, I got weightlifting exercise doing that thing. <laughs> oh, um, so so I, particularly with you giving out the the quick start rules and you know having you know now run seventh ed in its final form for a you know a, a, a couple of groups of players there. What was the reception in general like for seventh ed? It was um, very positive. Um, I was expecting a few people to come up kind of with less than positive comments and, uh, you know, a lot of questions. I mean, one of the things that surprised me, I suppose, was the number of people that came up to the stand that had an interest in Call of Cthulhu. They didn't know anything about the Kickstarter or 7th edition rules or anything like that. They just wanted to get some Call of Cthulhu goodness. So, um, wow. It's, I mean, I sp- I'm, I'm so immersed in it. Well, I guess we all are that it's hard to, and you think everybody's going to hear it, hear about it through the net. But I guess not everybody goes on Cthulhu forums or gaming forums necessarily. They just got an interest in gaming and they go along to the con. They see Chaosium. All used to play that a few years ago. Let's pick up some rules. Hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I had people saying the group had been in the play test and they wouldn't change back, um, so they they wanted to stick with the new rules. I had one fella. Um, he, I got chatting to him, and then I, I said, oh, I'm, I'm one of the authors, because it kind of came up in conversation. He said, yes, yes, I know you are. I've watched your video 20 times. That's creepy. And I called, <laughs> At that point, I had to call security. <laughs> you didn't mention what he did while he watched them. Let's not get into that. <laughs> There's a reason why we have explicitly explicit material on this podcast. I remember how. <laughs> well... So if you're listening, I think I did give you a card. So thumbs up to you. <laughs> um, so I, I mean, with you, you ran some seventh ed as well, Matt, didn't you? I did indeed. I ran one of my submissions for Nameless Horrors, one of the um, add-ons for the Kickstarter, one of the stretch goals that we produced. Um, a scenario set in 1890s Paris that went down fairly well. So the um, one thing I was in retrospect, probably not so surprised at, but I was a little bit more surprised at at the time, is that no one wanted to drink absinthe at 10 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> as far as I was concerned, it was 6 in the evening, so I was fine. But no one else? Well, at least I managed to have a whole glass myself. I mean, at that time in the morning, as long as you've got some orange juice and toast with it, it's still breakfast. No. <laughs> um, no, on the whole, the, the scenario itself went down really well. They threw, they threw themselves in, into it really nicely. And indeed, um, a couple of the uh, players were also those that had backed the Kickstarter and been in the playtest. Nice. So there were a couple that were saying, um, even before I'd mentioned about various mechanics like pushing and luck and such, they were already on the ball and saying they, they're using them already. Well, you know, for, for the ones who uh, hadn't been involved in the Kickstarter or, or the playtest, um, how quickly did they pick up on the changes? Oh, easily, easily, like like that. Okay. So it was very much a case they they hardly needed anything explained to them. They just ran with it as they saw it on the sheet. Excellent. And has, has that been your experience as well, running it for for new players, Paul? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's the game where you can deliver the rules through play. So I didn't really feel the need to sit down and give a big um, explanation up front. Uh, so as we came to combat, I could just explain a few changes, just as I would, you know, have done previously with explaining the rules anyway. And uh, that was how I, I would tend to run it, you know, particularly at cons. Um, I did have one guy who's he, it was his first um, convention game. Oh wow! Um, and I think I'm right in saying Mike had somebody who never played Call of Cthulhu before. Not definitely on that. I'll have to check the mic. But certainly, we had people who were pretty new to, to convention gaming, and um, yeah, it was great. Excellent. So, I mean, was there anything else exciting going on at the Chaos installed? Yes, indeed, there was. Uh, there was Pedro with his game Mythic Iceland, which won best setting in the Ennis, uh, won the silver Enny for best setting, um, which was uh, which was marvellous. So he was celebrating as well. 
Um, he's a he's a um, Chaosium stalwart. He's also produced the iPad app for the character generator. Oh right, that's Pedro. Oh, I didn't yeah. realise that. Um, which I saw last year in its kind of um, infancy and looked really good. Um, and this year, just before Gen Con, he's put it out for general sale. Um, so uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, I'll have to pick up a copy of that. And last year he was helping on the Chaosium stand, um, and he was around quite a bit this year. Oh, well, congratulations, Pedro, if you're listening. Yeah, so I met him, I met him last year. Great guy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. Well, maybe one of these days I'll get out to Jenkon and I'll get to meet him as well. <laughs> yeah, cheers. Um, was there anything else new on the Chaosium stand? Ah, yes. House of Rillier, or House of Riley, as uh, one of the misprints <laughs> apparently called it. So that, that's kind of the uh, familiar term for it. But House of Rillier, the uh, relatively new um, collection of scenarios based on uh, Lovecraft stories, or kind of follow-ups to Lovecraft stories, was on the stand. Whilst we're on the subject of the Ennis, uh, there was a few other Call of Cthulhu-related things that should perhaps be mentioned. Um, Best Adventure went to Acton Cthulhu. Uh, with Three Kings, Silver um, Award. Also, um, Best Gaming Aid, Unspeakable Oath from Arc Dream. Excellent. And on a tangent, quite a tangent, but we like it, uh, Best Rules, Gold Any, Dungeon World. Fantastic. Uh, and I was pleased to meet up with uh, Sage Latora at the stand and um, just chat to him a bit. Um, yeah, can't beat that. Yeah, but both Paul and I have played Dungeon World a fair bit, and uh, we both love it. Yeah. Terrific game. Matt will sit quietly in the corner and just nod. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so yeah, that, that sort of leads on to... oh, Actually, yeah, another exciting thing, which, how did I forget? It's only Cthulhu Wars! <laughs> <laughs> which, uh, Sandy, it was, it was on the end of uh, the Curseum stand... Uh, at one end, the whole Cthulhu Wars thing was out with Sandy running games with people, you know, just, just members of the um, public coming down and sitting and joining in a game. And at one moment, there was a slot, so he invited me over to join in. Uh, and I sat down, and I have to say, I was a little concerned because I thought, gosh, this is a big board game. I'm going to be sat here for like three hours. I'm sure this is going to be great, but this is a big commitment that I've suddenly made. Um, but it played really well, and in about an hour, we were done. Hmm. And after that hour, I kind of thought, you know what, I'd like to play another game now. <laughs> kind of want to, I've just a bit, I wouldn't say I've got the hang of it. I came fourth. But, you know, <laughs> how, 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 how yeah, whatever. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I was certainly hopeless. But uh, yeah, the black goat weren't doing so well that day. Um, but uh, yeah, you just kind of want to get back in there and give it another sh- give it another try. I mean, Sandy was kind of guiding people and it's uh, explain the rules as we went and so on, but uh, it's pretty easy to pick up. Um, amazing figures, um, good game. Yeah, excellent. I'll, I'll pack the Kickstarter for that so when it turns up, we can always have a game between us. Yeah, I'd like that. Yeah, I picked up the one of the expansions for it, so you can probably use it with five players. Or I'm not sure how the expansions work with adding additional players, but I know it's definitely one of them I got with it. Right, yeah, we were playing like the four player one, there were various factions and so on. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, I'd definitely be up for that. Yeah, there we go. So uh, you, you spent quite a lot of time in the trade hall, didn't you, Matt? Uh, Over the last couple of years, not this time around. Really? Oh, okay. two, two and a half hours, that was it. Okay. Um, but, but... Years I spent upwards of maybe eight hours in there. Okay. In that two and a half hours, though, I mean, was there any other uh, you know, interesting Cthulhu stuff that you'd seen from other publishers that had come out? Uh, yeah, there's Eternal Lies, which had finally been released by uh, Pilgrim Press, a very long-awaited uh, campaign. Mm. Boy, it's a brick. <laughs> um, I, I think I remember uh, Ken when I went over to um, have a word with him on the uh, stand. That's Ken Hyde, because uh, I've been doing some work for Trail of Cthulhu for him over the last couple of months. Um, he was saying how he was like, almost torn a muscle trying to hand over a couple of copies to uh, to someone because they were that heavy. And yeah, they are, but they're a meaty tome. Yeah. One, one that's definitely on my shopping list to get, but there's me thinking weight limits, <laughs> uh, only so much room I can fit even in the hand luggage. Yeah, in fact, uh, Andy Nicholson from the uh, Milton Keynes Role Playing Club is doing the conversion of that to Call of Cthulhu at the moment. Yes, yes, he is. So, mm. yeah. So, there, there yeah. So, you know, even if you don't play Trail of Cthulhu, you should get an opportunity to do so, you know, to try out Eternal Lines. Yeah, so it looks very, very good. I just need to find someone to run it for me now. <laughs> I think, I think um, Andy did part of the playtesting for Act One 
of it as well. So hopefully we should be able to try and convince him because he should know it pretty well, especially cool. after doing all the conversion. Yes, hopefully. Um, yeah, so get him, get him to run it forward. So what other goodies were there? Most of it, um, most, of the, most of my other Cthulhu-related adventures at Gen Con actually related to the games I was playing. Um, very little of it actually related to the trade hall. I mean, there's there's plenty of Cthulhu stands at the um, at the in the trade hall that is. Um, there's uh, Cthulhuana Corner, which is uh, usually about halfway down the um, hall away from Chaosium, but is a, a myriad of anything tentacular. Um, yeah, they, they have some pretty obscure stuff on there. I was yeah. talking to Andy, I can't remember what his name is, go runs a store. Um, and I was saying, you know, do you have like a web store and stuff? He said, well, a lot of it's just available here. So they've, they've got some little cast um, Cthulhu um, ornaments. He said some guy just turned up one day and said, do you want some of these? And sold them like a couple of dozen, never seen them again. Um, so some things, once they're gone, they're gone. They're not just your, your Amazon, you know, general for sale things. They're... Uh, you know, unique items. Huh. Pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, something I should add there, when you were talking about what else was there in terms of Call of Cthulhu we picked up, I picked up The Sense of Sleight of Hand Man. Oh, yes. Um, yeah. Which I'm looking forward to having a read. Um, of the uh, Pagan, well, as I call it, Pagan Stall. I guess it's Ark Dream Stall, Pagan Stall. I'm not quite sure. Um, but all those guys were there and um, got to see their talk about the new... Um, Delta, Green. Delta Green game. Oh yeah, I was about to ask about that. Yeah, did, did, you didn't make that, did you, Matt? I, put it this way: I had half an hour between events that I was involved with. I had <laughs> no time to do anything. This was an event. <laughs> no, I had, a, I had my schedule booked months in advance. Yeah, so it was over in uh, one of the other hotels, um, and uh, the room was really remarkable. I spoke to Shane Ivy afterwards and told him that the, the acoustics in there were just incredible. So when you hear I think it will probably come out as a podcast, people were recording it. It sounds, when I was sat there, it sounded like people were mic'd up. So when Ken Height turned up and was sort of making comments as he kind of walked up to his seat with his back to us, you could hear him like he was mic'd, I thought. Um, it, every little word seemed to carry fantastically into the audience. Mm. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, they gave quite a lot of insight into the New Delta Green game, the setting, and kind of expanded on the um, what they said last year. So, um, so I mean, what, what particularly, what particularly interested you about what they had to say? Um, just the way I think they're developing the background. Um, they had a few things. They mentioned one or two kind of rules mechanics. That I thought, yeah, that sounds good. Should have had that in seventh edition. <laughs> <laughs> uh, things like kill damage for big weapons against. Um, you know, like uh, automatic weapons and really heavy armaments, um, you know, maybe like miniguns and things, mounted weapons um, versus people or monsters that rather than, do, rather than sort of counting hit points, you just have kind of kill damage that just slays, I guess one kill damage would kill one human kind of thing. So it kind of abstracts damage up to a, a higher level, uh, which in some situations, you know, you can kind of see for a big, um, climactic firefight scene where you sort of, you know, maybe in Delta Green where you send in a, um, I don't know, some big heli gunship, helicopter gunship or something, that would be pretty cool. That, that reminds me a little bit of 316. Uh, oh, right, yeah. Where uh, instead of rolling for damage, uh, if, if you make a successful attack, you roll for how many aliens you kill. Yeah. yeah. I was thinking that that's also, it's a concept using cults because if you have um, heavy weapons in that, that just mm -hmm. says you do X many fatal hits. Yes. Uh, whatever their, their equivalent title for it is. But yeah, that, that's a concept that's straight out cold. 1d6 TPKs. <laughs> <laughs> um, also, I'm, I'm just kind of rambling on here. You asked what was interesting there. So I'm gonna... No, no, no they, 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 it was meant to be an open question. Um, Mark Morrison of uh, Horror on the Orange Express fame. Um, well, Horror on the Orange Express was there in some capacity. So on the other end of the Chaosium stand, opposite uh, Cthulhu was, was a printout of the Horror on the Orient Express um, publication for the Kickstarter. So is, so, it, is it actually completed now? Uh, well, the, the document was there yeah. for people just to browse through. I think it was kind of chained to the desk, uh, along with the Medallion of Ithaqua, um what else? One or two other um, props. The, tra the Traveller's Guide was there, I think, as well, wasn't it? Yeah, the Traveller's Guide. Um, yeah, a few kind of 
you know, taster bits to kind of show people the kind of things they'd get. Uh, and Mark Morrison was there, but very hard to talk to because he had his own stand selling campaign coins, which are metal coins that have been forged um, for all sorts of uh, different, I guess, mostly fantasy games. Um, so you get your gold pieces, your copper pieces, your silver pieces and tens and fifties and ones. And you can go and collect them. They sell them as sets and they sell them as individuals. And uh, he and Penny were there on the, the small stand. And every time I kind of went around hoping to have a word with them, they were just flat out nonstop busy. Oh, wow. That's great. I'm kind of kicking myself after that. I missed the Kickstarter for it and I didn't know they had a stand there. I probably oh, yeah. passed it twice. Oh, I think they'll be, <laughs> yeah, it was only, it was quite a small stand. Um, just the two of them on it and I think with just two of them on it they didn't get much let up. Moving away from the Cthulhu arena slightly I mean were there any other new products that you saw? Uh, oh, that, yes. yeah. <laughs> yeah there was Balloon Cthulhu. Oh yes yes there was. Yeah. Enough of your moving away from Cthulhu Dorwood. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> I, I'm sorry I thought we'd exhaust the Cthulhu's never but, done. Uh, no yeah. <laughs> I, I think I think we now have the model for the podcast. <laughs> Especially considering his arm fell off. He wasn't even done with the bottle. His arm fell off? Yeah, didn't you see that? No. Uh, I wasn't even there, but I got the video of it. Um, <laughs> can, can we just reverse up a bit to the bit where Paul said balloon Cthulhu? Right, in the um, the hallway, foyer, I don't know what you call oh, it. Oh, like oh, massive space. That, the um, of a motorway kind of wide. yeah pretty much that yeah. holds all the like the, the the drooling gamers as they're banging on the doors like the orcs at Helm's Deep trying <laughs> to get into the trade hall at like ten o'clock on the on the yeah. first morning. You mean like I was? I was, yeah. run, I was running the game in the morning, but you know people get trampled. I think yeah, uh, I, I was there at the front and yeah. and along that that um, along that walkway you kind of go out there any time of the day, probably all night. And there are cosplayers kind of um, uh, posing for photos and everything. It's, it's quite wonderful. And then down one end, there's this one guy in the booth who seems to sit there nonstop inflating these big, long green balloons, which he just kind of folds up and freeforms last year into this massive dragon. What it must yeah. be. 15 feet tall easily hey, massive thing I mean you'll see pictures yeah. on online the, the, those, year, those of you who are listening by the way are missing all the hand movements Paul's doing with this <laughs> Paul is sitting here making invisible balloon animals <laughs> uh, and uh, this year it turned into a giant Cthulhu wow um, and it's all done for charity so I think on the Saturday evening it's also, at some point it's auctioned off and the highest bidder gets to attack it and kill it, I don't know, with a wooden sword or something like that, <laughs> and, you know, burst it and so on. So, uh, I mean, this guy, he just sits there for hours upon hours and just sort of, it looks like he could just do it in his sleep. He sort of sits there talking to people and, and weaving these things. It's fantastic. <laughs> Excellent. The difference between this year and last year, is, though, is that unless I didn't see it move last year, is that this year, it, um, this year the Cthulhu moved, whereas the dragon didn't. Oh, I missed that, the Cthulhu walk. Yeah, yeah. So it, it started to, uh, they got the um, wings on the end of sticks so that you could see it uh, vaguely <laughs> as if it was flapping. And then, of course, his arms moving as if someone was inside it. And his arm fell off. That's <laughs> what I was saying about he wasn't quite ready yet. I guess that's probably on YouTube. I'll oh, yeah, out. I imagine it is. If, if not, yeah. I know a good friend of mine was there already with her camera and got a, got a picture of it. So. Well, was there any non-Cthulhu stuff that caught your eye there? Oh, yes. Yeah. Um, as uh, Paul mentioned about being there at 10 o'clock uh, to hammer on the doors, Yeah, I decided to get there two hours early and found there were still six rows back. No way. Yeah, seriously. Oh, wow. Having arrived there at 8 in the morning was still say six rows back at least well I did meet a very nice guy who oh, actually there is a Cthulhu I over here I forgot um, <laughs> while I was um, well I say while I was stood waiting anxiously for the doors to open um, some fellow really wish I'd got his contact details because he was a he was a lovely guy he's one, uh, one of the demoers for Steve Jackson games um, basically we just got talking between us as, as you do uh, amongst gamers there's one thing about Gen Con well American conventions in general they are incredibly friendly and mm -hmm. they will talk to you they will engage you in anything and everything even if just like walking down the street they see you've got a con badge on they'll strike up a conversation there's one thing especially in Indianapolis when you walk around everyone on every corner at every crossing has a con badge everyone <laughs> in town is there for the convention no exaggeration um, but say so this, this guy we say well, just maybe apart from the bikers Oh Christ! No, that's a that's a whole different <laughs> issue. That's... Yeah, well, let, we'll, we'll yeah, circle that... back to the bikers in a moment. Oh, trust me, they were doing a lot of circling around. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, that's another anecdote. One of <laughs> after gaming. Um, 
But listen, the, um, this fellow so started up a conversation with me, and I'd say after maybe about half hour of chatting, said, do you want to play a game? I was like, okay, we've got plenty of time. We've got about another hour or so before the before the doors open. Um, so whipped out um, a little document holder to use as a little play board and play zombie dice. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah so it got quite, quite interesting. And for once... Um, it kind of took us a lot of instances to actually get any points, but it was a dice game on one. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you're now going to use zombie dice for your all your RPG resolutions, are you? There might be a plan forming here. <laughs> <laughs> so actually, a dice system that liked me. I'm sure it was a fluke and a one-off, but it did take a while to get there, admittedly. Okay, um, now explain these bikers. Oh no, I was thinking the, the Cthulhu angle. I haven't finished oh, oh, sorry. Yet. Oh, sorry, sorry. Um, well, so one of the other angles because of Steve Jackson Games. Uh, they released Munchkin Cthulhu, and mm. um, so I mentioned it to him. The fact that I've got all the four expansions for it, that I've got um, basically got everything they released for this game, plus a load of the Cthulhu dice and so on. And at the end of playing Zombie Dice, he handed out a series of the promo cards. In which case, I got the uh, Munchkin Cthulhu bookmark, which has its own effect when oh, yes. I play the game. The rest of the promo cards to insert into the treasure decks and the door decks. And um, yeah, so it was that was my little anecdote there. So suddenly, random Cthulhu in part from, uh, from a sudden uh, throwaway comment. Fantastic. And now the bikers. Yes, bikers. Explain the bikers. Well, there's a massive um, bike gathering, uh, I think, for the um, Indianapolis Speedway. Because um, obviously, they have the Indy like, car races and things yeah. there, and I guess bike races as well. So that weekend, there's. Um, it was the same last year, actually. There was a, a massive gathering and sort of showing off of like Harleys and, and various other big bikes. So as you walk up the streets, especially in the evening, uh, mm-hmm. there was massive roaring bikes going up the road. Um, no shirt, no, sorry, not no shirts, no helmets, just in shirt sleeves, you know, riding up the thing yeah. under the um, kind of uh, walkways and so on. So it just reverberates all around. Some fantastic sounds. Fan- um, you say fantastic, I say ear bleeding. Oh, that's great. When, when walking yeah. back at three in the morning after finishing a LARP and that, or v- finishing having done a relatively <laughs> heavy drinking session, it's the last thing I wanted to hear was. <laughs> yes, yeah, Harley's make a very distinctive noise. Yeah. yeah it's all up and down. They're basically, they were parading around uh, Monument Circle and back yeah, down. Yeah, that's again. right. They got a whole street up to Monument Circle, just kind of blocked off with a couple of police cars and just rows and rows of bikes mm-hmm. just lined up to kind of show off in it. <laughs> I could see it out of bed, out of the bedroom window. Uh, on, on the Saturday night, it was you could hear it inside, even inside mm. the hotels. The, um, I, uh, we stayed at uh, a friend's um, hotel to get pizza after one of the laps, and oh, you could just hear it was like the windows rattling. Don't <laughs> even try and tell us it kept you awake, Sam. <laughs> no, no, it was <laughs> nothing. <laughs> I, I, I slept four blocks away, thankfully, well away from the noise. <laughs> Middle, only got about two and a half hours sleep every night. Yeah, having heard you talking in your sleep before, I imagine the bikers would have complained about you, Matt. (laughs) Anyway, um, yeah, we're going to talk about games. Uh, So, um, what 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 games did you play? What games did you run? You know, what 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 was your actual actual gaming experience at GenCon like, Uh, Paul? I didn't play that many games. Um, I play. I ran. Uh, Call of Cthulhu game twice, um, uh, my scenario Moonchild, and so that was for the Kickstarter backers. And then on the Thursday afternoon, I dashed down um, to join in a game with Pedro and um, some of the other guys. Uh, that was the new um, Firefly role-playing game. Oh, wow. Um, and, um, yep, that was pretty cool. Um, it was an uh, interesting system. Um quite sort of, I don't know, I'm not going to try and describe it, I only had a, sort of a, a but, but few it, hours kind of snapshot of it. But, but, but it's, a, it's, it's a Cortex game, isn't it? Yeah, that's right, yeah, yeah. Um, so it's quite kind of, it seemed kind of nicely kind of free-flowing and um, kind of took all sorts of interesting twists and turns, um, interesting scenario, yeah, it's fun. Good. How about you, Matt? Yeah, that, that relates actually to one of the one of the questions that slightly got sidetracked. Actually, thinking about it, of other products that caught our eye, um, of things. Um, the main reason why I was banging on the door that early for the um, to get into the convention hall was because they had uh, copies on the Catalyst Games uh, Lab stall of Shadowrun Fifth Edition. Um, now, the Shadowrun isn't a game I've particularly enjoyed whenever I played it, but they are beautiful books. <laughs> um, the 
the limited edition and the deluxe edition that they had um, went up for pre-order about a month ago and sold out very, very quickly, apart from a small note on that said they would have copies left at conventions. Well, given how it was about $75 to ship them to um, from the US to here, I actually um, did the maths and worked out I saved about probably about 25 quid if I was actually buying them at the convention rather than having to worry about getting them shipped over um, back home. Despite the things of saying you could save X, Y, and Z. Um, saying, I'm wondering how much, when it says how much stocks have they got left for conventions, right, if I get at the front and run to the stand, considering it's right inside the main, it's of the, they've got three doors that run along the mm. uh, main edge of the yeah. convention centre. Um, they were in, they were just beyond the, third, the middle of those doors. So, of course, when the doors ran um, opened, ran straight up to it, ran into the queue, managed to get about four or five spots back in the queue that developed getting into the stand, and then realised, oh, you've got a good couple of hundred of each of these. Yeah, you're not going to run out anytime soon. <laughs> <laughs> but but I think if we're honest, Matt, the reason you were banging on the doors at 8 o'clock in the morning was that you were on one side of the doors and the games were on the other side. Yes, very much so. Yeah. Like that, that's, that's what it boils down to. Yeah. <laughs> I, did, I didn't opt for the VIG package, which would have got me in there an, an hour earlier. But, you know, that's a VIG, very important game, um, is a... Um, package that Gen Con offer where if you pay an extortionate amount that you can get various privileges like I think you get your own little side room of places where you can drop your bags um, an hour entry earlier into the convention hall each day or specifically when it opens as well on the on the Thursday and so forth yeah, it gives you a few extra perks but not it's not the kind of money I want to blow at it maybe I'll blow it in the trade hall but not on that <laughs> so so anyway do you want to answer the question I asked you well that was one that you asked a while back but <laughs> my, my gaming experience was divided, uh, well, actually set out a long time ago. Um, but Gen Con from the last couple of years of experience for me is if I want to play stuff there, I have to play Fastest Finger first on their registration system, hmm. which typically this year the registration system fouled up as it did for various people. They were uh, they were moaning and complaining about the system froze. Uh, you select from a list that's pre-published. I think it's back in April, April May time it goes live. That you submit things to them in the months leading up to this, usually between January and March. Um, I think March is their cutoff date, so that's when the, the the four scenarios that I was running at the convention, I chose to run everything of mine from ten o'clock till about half two. So I gave myself four and a half hours for each slot, which given given the kind of scenario length that I run, that's that's kind of about the perfect time that I want to run to. It gives, it gives time for a little bit of a break in the middle. It gives time that if I've got a little bit of a room in case I've run over, but at least I've run a little bit longer than I think. It's, it's basically a sweet spot. Um, the Thursday, I allowed myself a little bit later for getting up and so forth, so I started at 12. And so there's my two hours there from 10 till 12 in the convention, in the in the trade hall. Um, so I so say running the four games there and then plotting what other times would I be then free throughout the rest of the day and then trying to play a... Kind of, temporal version of Tetris trying to work out how to fit the various other events I wanted to go to into my um, into my schedule and worked out that I could pretty much run for um, getting to play something with a half hour break or an hour break at most in between everything for the whole four day slot so from pretty much say from eight o'clock on Thursday when I, when I got to the trail queuing to get in the door I didn't stop and basically until I slept Matt, <laughs> Matt, don't take this the wrong way, but you are fucking mental. What? <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it was literally drop one game. Right, I've got half an hour to get across the convention centre to the next hotel. For the next one, um, insert the running, insert the running montage here. <laughs> yeah, I've got, I've got to play um, games that I haven't got to play for a long, long time, and so ones that if I ever have to do any, uh, if I ever want to do anything with them over here, I have to run them. I got to play my first game of Unknown Armies in years. I think the last time I played UA was when you ran it, Scott. Oh, wow. That, that was about seven years ago. Yeah, so that's why I was so happy I finally got into the game. <laughs> Plus, it was, it was a really good game. Uh, the GM there, uh, Todd Fuller, his, his games are very sought after and for a very good reason. So he is a fantastic GM who puts in a lot of attention to detail and a lot of effort into his scenarios. And fingers crossed, Todd, if you're listening... 
Um, hopefully, we might have him come over for the UK for a convention as well, because he's looking to see if he can come over for um, probably for Indicon or Conception. Oh, that'd be fantastic. Mm. Yeah, maybe it, it, it'd be nice to see more America, American gamers coming over for some UK conventions. I, you know, Indicon and Conception definitely are two, you know, two, you know, two ones that I think anyone looking to come to the UK for a convention should aim for. Yeah, yeah. So you definitely yeah. have to get more bang for your buck, especially as the longer conventions. Yeah. Yeah, so, 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 what else did you end up playing? Well, uh, so I played a two-hour game of Vampire Masquerade. It's again quite nice to actually play it rather than write for it or run for it. Uh, then Cobbles Ate My Baby. Admittedly, by that point, sleep deprivation was really catching up with me, and I almost fell asleep through it. And that wasn't any fault of the game because it was actually quite a fun scenario, but just far too tired by that point in the day. And that was on the on the Saturday afternoon. And a say the UA game played in, and a couple of games of Cthulhu Live, which were quite fun. All right. Yeah, there's um, one that believes it's a fairly standard scenario out there. That's um, after having a word with a couple of people called the Auction. Uh, fairly tongue-in-cheek in some of the references in there, um, where they had um, like a um, Hellraiser puzzle box as one of the uh, one <laughs> of the items that you could say pick up in the auction. Uh, the character I, uh, that I played for that was a, a spy, um, an artist who was aspiring to collect all the works of Pigment. Because he'd um, viewed some of the original paintings and he'd say lost a fair degree of sanity and it was the only thing keeping him sane was uh, basically collecting these paintings. <laughs> um, one of the uh, paintings came up for sale at the, at the auction, but the starting money that the character's given isn't enough to cover the price, um, basically the starting bid. So it then leaves um, you to try and wheel and deal, or try and fake a uh, fake a copy of it and uh, substitute. And no, as I find, no con no plot survived contact with the enemy. I mean the players. Um, no one else in the room bid on it. So consequently, this the one character me that's interested in it puts up his hand and says, "Would you consider a lower starting bid?" And of course, the auctioneer, maybe not having fully read the brief, maybe is deciding, "Oh, what the hell." Um, let me swing with it. So most of my uh, wheeling dealing was cut short by the fact I just managed to haggle. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, the other prime moment from that being that because it was a uh, uh, there was the Pikmin influence in there, um, having a note slipped to me halfway through the game to say, right, uh, you have a meeting. Um, someone outside would like to discuss potentially selling you more um, selling you more paintings. So okay, I'll, I'll bite. Wander out there. Um, a guy acting very suspiciously, basically saying, oh, I've got a few more Pikmin paintings in the back of my car, in an alley, two streets over. <laughs> you want to come have a look? No. What? Well, if, if I'm not coming to a boot of a car, if you're, I can understand if you don't want to get them out in public or so, in which case, scribble, 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 here's, here's my address for my studio, come back in two days' time, we can arrange a, pro uh, we can arrange a showing in a nice, small, sedate setting. Okay. And the poor NPC <laughs> wanders away somewhat dumbfounded that someone hadn't just walked into the blatant trap that had been set up around the corner, saying, I may have lost some of my sanity, but not all of it. I am not stupid. <laughs> and was constantly remaining, uh, remaining paranoid throughout the rest of the adventure. And survived! <laughs> so so what, what, what did you end up running? You said you, you I, ran some of your, 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 your nameless horrors work. Yeah, around the, uh, that was for, say, the Call of Cthulhu scenario. Ran. I ran two Trail of Cthulhu scenarios. Um, one, Cerulean Aureola, which is going in Mythos Expeditions, uh, that's coming up hopefully in the next few months. Uh, trip out to Clipperton Island in the, middle of, in the middle of the Pacific. That went down fairly well. <laughs> yeah, that is, for some people, maybe not so well. <laughs> At least not how their characters ended up being. Uh, we had uh, Heaven in a Wildflower, which is coming up in Deathless China. That's uh, a trek out into central China to hunt for the Middle Miss Red, the rarest flower on earth. Overran by admittedly about an hour, but it was since it was the um, on the Sunday slot, no one had anything to run to afterwards. And it's it's I, I, I personally I love the adventure because it's it plays to a particular part of the mythos I really really like. So no spoilers, but I won't give that away. Yes, yeah, so that one that one went, went really well. So everyone, everyone definitely threw themselves into it, and I got a contact via Simon at Pearl Grain Afters, where one of the players had contacted um, Simon through the website to say I'd like to say thanks for the scenario that was run. So that was a nice e ego stroke. Oh, good. Yeah. yeah. 
And the last one was The Seven Circle, a Fear Itself game that, again, this, this is one that's in development for, uh, for release. It hasn't, um, it needs a, a little bit more work doing on it as yet, but hopefully it'll be released as a dual stack with Fear Itself and Trailer Cthulhu as so well. So all four of these scenarios that you ran, that you wrote, mm-hmm. are looking to be published. They're yeah. not looking to be published, they're going to be published. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it's uh, kind of um, full there, mo- mostly for Pelgrade, admitted on that front, but all of them having a Cthulhu bent in one way or mm. another. And that was set on a remote Scottish island regarding a um, TV crew that go to do a paranormal investigation of a house, which I think you've, you've played. I've played three out of your four, I think. Oh, yeah. well, wasn't this the one where you picked the island at random and, and the first time you playtested it, someone actually knew about it? That's right. Yeah, that was, that was James Mullen who went, oh, that Eileen Moore. I'm thinking, oh, there's only one Eileen Moore, isn't there? Um, yeah, actually, it turned out to be the site of a rather famous Scottish mystery, which fitted quite nicely into the scenario. So <laughs> that worked out quite nicely. But no, the, um, for, the nice, amusing thing for me is that that scenario has run very differently every time I played it, um, including this this time around. They had a lot more different interaction with NPCs that I'd written for it, um, but they never went in the house. <laughs> anyway, they, they went. They got to the front door. They opened the front door. Didn't go in. So they they still spent four, the best part of four and a half hours doing all the, all the legwork around it. So say so it's, it's nice that they can play so play so funnily in that sense. <laughs> yeah, uh, but how about the games you ran? Paul? did you, you did you just run uh, Moonchild? Yeah, I just ran Moonchild a couple of times. Um, yeah, it was uh, interesting because there was an interesting mix of people, and it. it kind of runs very differently with different groups. Um, and uh, one of the characters, one of the players, <laughs> who ended up playing a nurse, um, I didn't realise during the game was uh, a, a surgeon <laughs> in real life. Um, and when I kind of uh, he was in, he was kind of doing some searching and then uh, had a bad role. Uh, and so it kind of made sense where he was searching that he it was a kind of a drug paraphernalia around. It get like a needle wound in his foot. And he said, "Oh yeah, I know what they're like." I've had those. Yeah, really? And, yeah. So, and then the stuff he told me later, yeah, blimey. Um, it's pretty sanity blasting. Um, I also, this, I don't really have too many anecdotes that I can kind of put into that. I don't think about uh, Moonchild. Um, but I can tell you about Cards Against Humanity. Oh, boy. Oh, <laughs> oh just, just before we do, oh, okay. um, is, is Moonchild going into Nameless Horrors? Yeah, I believe so, yeah. Good. Yeah, that's okay. the plan. Um, Cards Against Humanity is a card game and I played it one night uh, maybe Thursday, Friday night with uh, the Chaosium guys with um, Charlie and Megan and um, Nick and Spencer and Mike um, back at the room and uh, we talk about rolling on the floor laughing you know but this was literally on the rolling on the floor <laughs> laughing. It's a good, good game. Is, is, is this the game where you're basically trying to fill in the blanks in a phrase with, yeah. with words that you've got? In, yeah, trying, yeah. Trying to you, got, the most you take it in turns, you get a black card with the start of a sentence, yeah. and then everybody lays down one of their, from their hand of white cards, which finish the sentence. And I've heard of a similar game whereby you just kind of read, uh, write the first line of um, a famous novel, mm-hmm. um, and then people um, write down an ending to the line and you give a prize to the one that gets the funniest lot funniest yes. you know that is yeah. judged to be funniest apples um, i think they call it something like that right so they've they've just kind of marketed this as, as a as a game um and yeah it was uh we'd have great fun with that yeah it's so a very simple kind of parlor game expanded into a card game going around looking i think on the saturday uh mike and i were walking around the, the trade hall get cards against humanity it's got a blank table with sold out written on it. <laughs> I, I've, I mean, it's been out for a couple of years now, and I've heard that story at a number of conventions that it just sells out instantly. So they're doing so, something right. Yeah. It's, it is a good, it's a good fun game to play. Bring more cards. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so my, most, um, most of my gaming after after um, most of my time after games was filled with cocktails. That would have been a very good accompaniment. Yeah. Like yeah. Yeah. It's. Um, not one for polite company, but uh, <laughs> who the hell mixes in polite company? <laughs> yeah, I can't remember what polite company's like. Um, I feel offended. <laughs> <laughs> so in one of my games of Moonchild, who should be in it but Dan, 
or Keeper Dan, to give him his official title, from uh, the Miskatonic University podcast. Oh, fantastic. Um, And, uh, yeah, ended up um, chatting quite a bit with Dan after the game, and um, he dropped by the stand. I think uh, he was in the same game of Cthulhu Wars with me as well, with uh, Sandy Peterson. So, uh, yeah, I think it was Dan's first time at Gen Con, um, and, uh, yeah, he seemed to be loving it. So uh, I'm sure we'll hear about that on the Mr. Conic University podcast. So if you listen to our podcast and by some strange chance don't know about the Miskatonic University podcast, then just Google it or we'll put a link. Yeah, it's it, it's it's like this, but professionally done and just all around better. Yeah, and it's got Keeper Dan, who... Uh, no, it's got Keeper Dan, and it's got Keeper Murph, who is kind of it's so, kind of so the, deep. The, the deepest the, voice in podcasting. Don't put him on the subwoofer. <laughs> <laughs> That's one other shout out I almost forgot actually. Um, so he played in one of Mike's games rather than one of your games. It's um, Tristan Goss, who oh, yes. uh, who were very kindly offered for all the keepers who were running things for him. They could bring over bits from Australia. Um, so being the typical sadistic GM that I am, decided I want something that I could beat my players with. So he brought me a boomerang. <laughs> um, but also, yeah, he, he played in the um, Nameless Horrors scenario that I ran, and so he recorded that. He's a listener to the program. Yay! Hey, hey, hey. Thank you for your, all your gifts, Tristan. They're much appreciated. And uh, I think, yeah, there's a lot of little cuddly koalas around. Oh, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thanks to Tristan. Well, th- that actually leads on very organically to my, my next question, which you've just partially partially answered. About koalas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But 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 putting aside the koala question until later. You flipped yeah. lots of it. <laughs> yeah, what interesting people did you meet there? And have you have you just have you just answered that completely? <laughs> no, I, I met one that actually this is proving to be an incredibly small world. Um, as I mentioned, that yeah. um, Todd Fuller, who ran the Unknown Armies game um, on the Thursday night for us, um, invited me back to one of the room parties that um, he was having with some good friends of his, basically people that he'd known from other games that he ran or other um, other. Groups and a lot of them for, from the MU Skulls group that run a lot of Call of Cthulhu over there. Hmm. And so I went over there and say time passed quite happily, a um, couple of hours in the blink of an eye. It was a really, really good evening with a lot of good company. A lot of kamikazes, a lot <laughs> of them. Some very good ones. Um, of which Laurie, the um, the host, uh, say came up, the first thing she said was like, arms open wide, saying, hey, how are you doing? And I think, I know you from somewhere. Where do I know you? And it turned out after them meeting another uh, friend, Steve Robbins, who came over a couple of nights later, um, that we'd all played in a Cthulhu lab a couple of years ago at Gen Con, that they uh, they run or they played in, that they were organised again with the MU Skulls group. Um, Steve has a Kickstarter going up in the next couple of months for a game of his called Adman, which we got to play um, a little bit of. It's uh, like an advertising executive uh, game, which is a lot of fun. How about you, Paul? Who did you meet up with? Uh, well, there was all the kind of Cthulhu regulars. Um, yeah. There was um, Simon Rogers on um, Pale Grain and Dennis Detweiler and Shane Ivey on uh, on the Pagan stand, lots of those uh, guys. Um, but aside from Cthulhu guys, I was pleased to meet um, Ken St. Andre, the oh, wow. author of uh, Tons and Trolls. I, I'm and Stormbringer. Uh, yeah, and get to chat to him, which was nice. Apparently Flying Buffalo, according to Charlie at least, the oldest uh, role-playing games company. Maybe. Uh, yeah, actually, they probably are. Yeah, I, 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 would, I was trying to work out some time back whether Chaosium was the oldest surviving role-playing company, but Flying Buffalo must beat them. Well, that's what Charlie Crank attests to, so yeah. uh, I'm guessing that's the case. He, he would know. And uh, Lou Zocchi um, of the Game Science Dice um, fame, got to chat to him. Um, he's an amazing guy. Um, I, I've, I've uh, seen the videos of him on YouTube. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if it was the same guy. Uh, yeah, I know yeah. a video. Just like yeah. that in real life. Yeah, yeah. He's he, as, as passionate in person as he oh, is. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's like nonstop. Just him on his stand. and uh, you know, I've, I've, I ended up with a 24-sided dice and a game to go with it. I've got 24-sided dice, but I've got no use for it. <laughs> oh, well. You need to speak to Lou Zocchi. I, 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 I'll have to see whether I can find these videos for the show notes, because, um, yeah, I, I, I've never met him, but, yeah, I, I, I very much took to him from these videos where he basically talks about um, the design of, of polyhedral dice and why his is superior to anything else in the market, because they just roll properly or... Um, 
Uh, yeah, yeah. They, they're designed like casino dice, sharp with proper sharp edges. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Nice meeting the French licensee, Chaosium licensees. Oh, so sans detour. Yeah, it was great meeting up with those guys and um, talking about their plans for um, the field guides for seventh edition. And so they're going to be publishing seventh edition in French. I don't know about that. Yeah, I'm not sure about that. But so these field guides for seventh edition. Uh, yeah, so, the, oh, the, 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 the oh, field guide. Ah, I got it. Yeah. <laughs> Dreamlands and field guides. Yeah. 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 Yes. Yeah. So, so, they're, so they're the ones. Doing, oh. Yeah. Well, that's nice. fantastic. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people like the French um, Call of Cthulhu edition, uh, the production of it, and the artwork, and so on. Um, and it gives them a chance to put their stamp on the Call of Cthulhu seventh edition line for Chaosium. Yes. Um, which I think would be, you know. Very welcome. In general, though, um, I mean, you've described a bit about the venue and the things you got up to. I mean, what, what, what was the, what was, you know, for, for, for someone who hasn't managed to get to Jenkon yet and is increasingly bitter about it, um, I, <laughs> yes, thanks, Matt. Um, I, what, what was the atmosphere like there in general? I think it's, again, no exaggeration by saying that it is like no other convention that you'll go to. Um, it's not like anything you will go to in the UK, for example. Um, I think probably the first time I went, it was very much akin to that moment in Jaws where you think, I'm going to need a bigger boat. <laughs> that there is just so much to do. I mean, the convention guide is a telephone directory. You have events starting at every hour of every day. You want to play a card game tournament? Sure, we have three Magic the Gathering tournaments starting at four in the morning. No, we've got um, about 14 Yu-Gi-Oh ones at two. It's, there's just so much happening there that it just doesn't stop. So, so it is 24 hours? Yeah. So I mean, the I, auction alone, there's an auction, a massive room given over to the auction, um, and that runs Thursday, Friday, Saturday, um, uh, something like maybe 9 o'clock till midnight, non-stop. Wow. They're selling stuff. Yeah, yeah there's just item um, after item after item, plus there's a, a little perusing area in the corner where there's yeah. a load of stuff on there as well. With two auctioneers running side by side. Monster. Gosh, but no, I mean that—that's interesting with that twenty-four-hour-a-day thing because I, I hadn't quite taken that into account. I mean, I, I when, when I thought about going over there before, I thought about it in terms of you know getting out there a couple of days beforehand to you know get used to the local time zone and stuff like that. But it sounds like you don't really need to do that. You can just—I you know, would say you do. Okay. Yeah, you do that's, if you can. Right. Yeah, I recommend definitely. I went out, admittedly, I went and stayed with some friends before I went um, went to Indianapolis itself. I went down to Phoenix with a road trip down to Tombstone and then back up to Indianapolis afterwards. Um, I wish in hindsight I'd actually gone out to Indianapolis maybe on the Tuesday rather than the Wednesday. Because mm-hmm. admittedly, by that point, time, uh, time zone isn't an issue, but there's a lot of stuff that's still happening on the Wednesday before the convention even opens. Okay. Um, like in, what? Mainly people getting together, socialising and so forth. I mean, I bumped into Simon Rogers walking down the street on Wednesday night, which was quite uh, quite a pleasant surprise. Um, and then also bumped into a few of the guys that had um, historically played in the um, Gumshoe games that I ran over the last couple uh, the last couple of years that hadn't managed to get spots this year. Hmm. And bumped into them at the Steak and Shake um, that was on the corner. Uh, basically, it's uh, like an all it's an, a typical American diner that's on the corner that's open quite late. And it's after a while, it's the only place you can get food in Indianapolis after about midnight. Some sunlight's I think even shot up after that point. But Will Call especially. Um, Will Call is a check-in booth where the queue the last year was easily a mile long when I turned up there um, on the Thursday morning. Um, then, you know, never again do that. After they uh, they offered to keep the place open 24 hours from I think midday on the Wednesday. Go there at something like one or two in the morning and you'll have a half hour wait rather than having a three or four hour wait <laughs> instead if you go the next day. Yeah, I was there Wednesday wow. afternoon about, I don't know, just after lunch, and um, there was a long queue. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, we kind of stood around there and chatted. And, yeah, that's cool. But it's nice. I turned up on the Tuesday this time with Mike, um, and uh, we got to our hotel room. No sooner as we got to the hotel, then I think we ran into Gregor Hutton oh, um, yeah. in the lobby and um, chatted to him for a while. He seemed to have been on a... On a, a quite a long tour of America. Yes, um, yeah, he's been doing that for the last few months. Yeah, seems to have a great time. So we chatted to him for a while, and then I guess if you don't know anybody and you go in there, you may not want to turn up on Tuesday. But if you think you're going to know people there, um, to you know, or you can arrange some kind of social gatherings, then the Wednesday is really good because people aren't doing too much stuff. I mean, they might be setting up their stand if they're exhibitors, which um, we we gave some assistance with with the Chaosium stand. 
um, and then went to the Brown, which is a big um, kind of restaurant, and it was all decked out in. Now I'm going to fail here because I'm not quite sure what the theme was. It was kind of a D&D esque game, but I can't remember exactly which game it is. I think it's Pathfinder from the notes Angus have got up online. Okay, possibly some branch of Pathfinder then, because it's maybe okay, but something of that ilk. So we were, I was um, ordering the um, Bob Rob. Burger, something like that, uh, which sounded pretty cool. And then it, it, the waitress had to sort of um, look at the menu to see which burger it actually was, because <laughs> she she wasn't up to speed with all the new kind of fantasy uh, fantasy names. Um, but the uh, yeah, the beef burger with the blue cheese that was pretty good. <laughs> uh, so, uh, what what loot did you come away with from the convention? <sighs> we don't it. have time for Matt's list. <laughs> no, what what, what are the highlights of it? Um, Shadowrun 5th Edition, Limited Edition, and Deluxe Edition. Uh, copies of World's, uh, World War Cthulhu, which, demo, uh, which de- um, debuted at the... Oh, uh, well, the, the, the Darkest Hour, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, mainly yeah. someone else at home wanted it, so I managed to pick up a yeah. copy. That's for Paul Lawrence, who wanted a copy. I, I'm, I'm reading it at the moment. It's terrific. Ah, I, I haven't even opened the cover yet. I haven't had time. <laughs> um, picked up um, Hell on Earth Reloaded for, uh, from Pinnacle as their Deadlands, uh, Deadlands Hell on Earth. Plus, again, loads of Deadlands stuff for uh, from a good friend, Tony, uh, Tony Parry, who runs a lot of Savage Worlds at the conventions over here. And so he wants he wanted some hard copies, so I managed to get uh, get them those. I made my one my one little pilgrimage to the um, the Q Workshop stand. Ah, yes. Um, because one th- with after, a wheelbarrow. <laughs> <laughs> funnily enough, the guy did have to look at me twice when I was <laughs> filling up the bucket with dice. <laughs> Considering how expensive Q Workshop dice are, that must have been. Uh... I blew through about one hundred fifty dollars on dice. Um, it, um, my my aim is every time I go there, I will expand my glow in the dark set of green and black um, Cthulhu dice that they have there. And mainly after Paul ran Walker in the Waste for us and turned the lights out for the first uh, first couple of sessions to replicate the uh, dark of the Antarctic. Oh, the, uh, the Arctic, Arctic winter. Yeah. Wrong, 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 Paul. Yeah, um, well, Arctic, the enough. Arctic winter. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's still cold either way. Doesn't um, matter which thought, pole you're at when you're mad. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 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 the end for me. Um, thought no, I, w- I want to be able to see the dice when the, uh, when the lights go out. So I have a glow in the dark set that is now turned into a glow in the dark mountain. So it, just, it gradually gets bigger every Gen Con. Right. So that's the voice of sanity then. <laughs> <laughs> I picked up a few things. Out, um, uh, some of the things I've already mentioned actually. Three Kings from Acton Cthulhu to have a read of that. Um, Slight of Handman. Um, Tremulous. I got picked up a copy of Tremulous. Oh, yes. So I'm interested in reading that. Um, and I also picked up something else, something for you, Scott, which you don't yet know about. Uh oh. <laughs> the, the, the look on Paul's face. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh god. Comes in a bottle, but it ain't. You ain't gonna drink it. Yeah, it's an Elmo Steakhouse, um, founded in 1902 in, in Indianapolis. is a really plush restaurant. Uh, which I had the pleasure of dining in a couple of times. One time with Adam Crossingham of Six Stone Press, and again with the Chaosium um, Kickstarter backers. And uh, I'm not ever been a massive fan of steak, really. I'm not a, like, a massive um, carnivore fan. You're just doing it wrong. <laughs> Apparently so, because mm. man, me and Charlie had. Well, I wasn't too sure what to order. They had, they had a huge range of steaks. And um, the, the waiter rambled off a, a couple that were, you know, off the list. So he said, what are you having, Charlie? He's like, I'm having the prime. I'll go for that as well. It was, well, it was the size of your head. It was huge. Um, but it wasn't just it was big. It was probably, I, no, I have to say, it was the most delicious thing I've ever eaten. Um, and um, it was really good. Um, they're 28-day aged steaks. Mm. Um, I don't know how I, I have had a go at cooking steak once or twice, and it was kind of okay. But man, they really well, they haven't been doing it for like over a hundred years for no reason. These guys really know their stuff. Um, uh, but their starters are a shrimp cocktail, so you get um, five shrimp, I think, and they're about the size of your fingers, so they, you know, fair oh, size, kind of king prawn size. Yeah, it? oh, bigger. You know, literally the size of my middle finger. They're, they're oh, wow. quite quite big ones. In a in a little metal um, dish, 
with his sauce on. And it's freshly grated horseradish sauce. Oh, wow. And it is, wow, it is really strong. I mean, it catches most people out the first time you go. If you've been once, you get people to order this starter and then watch them <laughs> as they... So I'm like, oh, you only get a fork to eat it with, a little fork, you know, like a little cocktail fork thing, oh, looking around, and oh, people aren't really using knives. So I guess you just pick one up and shove it in your gob. So I pick one of these prawns up and, and put it in my mouth, and then you bite down on it, and then your head explodes. <laughs> tears, start, tears start to roll down your face, and you have to stop moving your jaw because you're going to be paralysed if you bite again <laughs> until the feeling goes. I'm making it sound really bad, but it was fantastic, <laughs> fantastic stuff. That's so um, here is my gift to you, Scott. That's actually a bag of clay. Um, that isn't it. This is it. Oh, thank you very much, Paul. So, uh, do, do I have to taste some of this in front of you? To, no, I think so save it. So you get the full it. effect. Save it until we've got a camera ready. It'll probably stop you talking. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, Other listeners, this, do you want to... This is St. Elmo's Steakhouse World Famous Cocktail Sauce. Warning label on it saying very hot. Mm-hmm. Excellent. I look forward to this. Thank you, Paul. That will clear your sinuses 100%. It's anywhere near as good as the fresh stuff. Oh. Man, it is some good stuff. And it is the only starter they do. Really? So if you don't like it, there were some guys that didn't like seafood or that, yes, bizarrely, were vegetarian at the El St. Elmo Steakhouse. Nothing against vegetarians, but it's kind of a pretty different... They they did like a pasta dish. Um. But, um, yeah, you could have a bit of the sauce with some crackers. That was your only other option um, <laughs> if, if you didn't want the, the, the shrimp. Um, but, uh, yeah, pretty awesome place, which uh, uh, not a cheap place to eat, but it worth the money. Yeah. I think there was, there was a conversation that happened on Facebook afterwards where uh, Nick and uh, Spencer were saying about going there for one of the, um, one of the large steaks. I think that's a, the challenge that I have graciously accepted for next year. Yeah, they got to about... 40-something? No, I think in the 30s, about 30-something ounces. 30, like yeah, yeah but that, that's, that's still two and a bit pounds. Yeah. So what, what, well, one last question then, and then we'll, we'll kind of open up to everything. But what was the highlight of GenCon for each of you? Matt, do you want to go first? Bizarrely enough, um, not actually the games. It was actually getting to see a lot of people I hadn't seen for a long time and just the whole socialising aspect of it. That these are people that go there that I get to see once a year in person and that's it. So all the guys from Chaosium when we met up on the Sunday night to go to the Brazilian Steakhouse, that was a wonderful, wonderful evening. Um, and then likewise all the, the different cocktail parties that I went to after after the games at Laurie's that she hosted. And so bumping into people in corridors that I knew from the likes of the um, the old Camarilla Society, guys seeing them on the stands at the various um, at the various bits in the trade hall. Yeah, just honestly getting to see and meet with all the people I hadn't seen for so long. Cool. <laughs> I'd have to um, agree with that actually. The, I enjoyed all of it this year. It was it was really great fun. Um, and just being there with a, a bunch of friends was um, really, really good fun. Um, you know, meeting up with uh, Dan, um, being there with Mike, um, Charlie and Megan, Spencer and Nick, um, meeting up with Sandy and getting to chat to Sandy about films. Got a few recommendations, by the way. Um, cool. And, uh, yeah, it was just really nice. Uh, it was kind of relaxed for me because... I wasn't rushing around from game to game. I mean, that's fun, but it's in a different kind of way, just kind of mm. being able to just chill out and wander around the, the hall and be on the stand talking to people um, and um, having the, having having groups of people to kind of hang around with in the evening and, you know, go out and eat with and chat with. Really good. We were the antithesis of each other's schedules. We were. Yeah, yeah I think I bumped into you maybe once at the con and then... On that final evening, yeah. we went out for dinner at the Brazilian Steakhouse. Yeah, that was it, because I only had the, so the 10 minutes to swing by the trade hall, which is what I say when I bumped onto you on the stand. Yeah. 
But yeah, I mean, yeah, to to reiterate what what you both said, I mean, yeah, th this is one of the good things I find about going to conventions regularly, which is you do build up this network of friends through the convention. And um, yeah, if yeah, if you're listening to this and you're not a regular convention goer, I mean, this, you know, even if even if yeah, you know, the idea of going along and playing games with strangers doesn't appeal to you quite as much. Um, you know, one thing that is, is well worth going to conventions for is just simply meeting other gamers and, and building this, this huge network of friends. You'll find that people at conventions are incredibly friendly, yeah. uh, very welcoming, and yeah, you, you, in general, you will have a great time. Yeah, and I mean, albeit there's 49,000 people there, um, yeah, of those 49,000, uh, you know, there's a lot of them that aren't into um, perhaps tabletop role playing. They're there for other things. Mm. And then whatever your game of preference is, um, you know, you're probably fitting into a, another yet smaller niche. Um, so you're going to bump into to, to people that you kind of get to know that you've been in a game with, um, you know, through the through um, con. Um, I mean, I was on the, the stand this year and bumped into people that I'd played with last year. Um, you know, in games, so you kind of, you know, the, you, your your little niche kind of, uh, you'll, you'll find people that you get to know. Plus, I'd say from anyone that's done a convention game anywhere else, Gen Con is pretty much my my mecca. It's that my pilgrimage for the year is to go there. That because it is unlike anything else. It is pretty much the centre of my gaming calendar. Everything else revolves around it now for me, because say it's just it is there. The next is where everything crosses. I think maybe um, uh, maybe towards the start of next year, we could do a little show centering around Gen Con and how to prepare for it. I mean, I've mm. only been twice, Matt. You've been more than me. And um, I mean, having only been twice, I don't really have that much experience to draw on of, of, of what to say and do. But to be honest, it's such a big expense and uh, travel going out there that, whatever preparation you can get and just thinking to somebody who's been once um, is a big boon because there are so many things that you want to sort of know about up front. Uh, we could do a, a show about yeah, you know, getting yeah, yourself ready like, for Gen Con. That, that would be of great interest to me. Yeah, so yeah. we will drag you out there eventually, even if it's in a suitcase. I hope so. <laughs> but, yeah. um, it's, it's also good for, like saying about anticipation of each other's schedules, that it really does depend on you go out there to get what you want. Basically, you'll go out there with a plan. You have to know what you want to get the most out of it. Like this year, I wanted to play lots of games. You had lots of commitments on the stand and so forth. So it very much it relies on planning. Hmm. So you very much need to know that in advance and a long way in advance as well. So that about wraps it up for this week. If you want to find out more about the show, then head over to blasphemoustomes.com. Um, and I think... Are we at an end there? I, I think we're at an end. I think we've said Indeed. enough. Yeah. So we may come back to Gen Con um, early next year, but for now, we have been the good friends of Jackson Elias, and we bid you good night. Cheerio. And farewell. In the dawn when you wake, and you'll be a bit older, in the new day you make, there's a Japanese Second half.